What's good, everybody? It is De- oh, well, I almost said. See, I almost fucked up right from the start. I almost said December first. Uh, it is January eleventh, twenty eighteen, and this is the first show of the MMA Ratings Podcast for twenty eighteen. So, thank you, everybody, for joining us for this first show. Um, this is Rafael Garcia, as always, and I'm here with my partner in crime, taxing partner, whatever I want to call him. I'm start coming up with different nicknames for him every week. Start today. Um, we got. Um, probably, I'm calling him today. I'm gonna call him um, number one dad on earth, Swan Hume. How's that? How you doing there, sir? I will take that compliment. I will take that every day. One of the best compliments I can get. I'm doing great, man. Glad to be glad to be back on talking about the sport we love. How was your new year? Uh, man, you know I meant to stay up. I like knocked out five minutes before. I woke up five minutes after. No, oh, <laughs> I was asleep by 10:30. No bullshit. Out cold. Yeah, I, I don't know. It was I don't know. I just I just wasn't I wasn't feeling it this year. This year I didn't have nothing for New Year's. Me neither, man. You not, it was not just you. I was knocked out before um before ten thirty, like around like ten forty five or so. You know, so it's all good. It it happens. When you, when you got six jobs, you're gonna be tired. Man. <laughs> man, I made it. I made it a point not to do anything. Like I didn't leave the house for like the first few days. But let's go ahead and um let's talk about a couple things, man. We're um trying to work to get our special guest on today. We're supposed to have Arlene Sanchez to join us because she's one of the few ladies who are actually in the corner for fighters. I mean, you think about how prevalent women's mixed martial arts is now across the sport, but how many times have you really seen female um, corners? You know, we've seen like Amanda Nunez. I can only think think of like about, I want to say about three or four times, but seeing a female in the corner who is not in a relationship with the person in the corner is a rare thing. That's the caveat. I mean, that's a big caveat there. So, um, where we hope striking coach of the UFC champion um, Nico Montagna. Yes, yes, good. So we're looking to get her on the show. Um, so let's see what happens. But other than that, man, we got plenty to talk about anyway. So let's go ahead and kind of jump in because we got a lot of news to really go over. I mean, let's start with John McCarthy. I think that's kind of like the most it's the most intriguing news from this week because I think it came out of left field. If you do not know. John McCarthy has, big John McCarthy has joined the commentary team for Bellator MMA. Jimmy Smith, who's probably one of their most tenured uh, personalities, has left the organization. There's plenty of rumors going on. Is, has he already joined UFC or is, he, or is it just, is, is that still a rumor? It's, it's still a rumor. They haven't done anything official okay. yet. So, but many people are expecting him to join the UFC and be a part of their commentary team. But right now, it looks like uh, Bellator, they let out a press release earlier this week, I think on Tuesday, announcing that McCarthy is now part of their commentating team. And this is a huge change because McCarthy is one of those guys who, this is actually Arlene right there. So go ahead and talk about this topic for me real quick. Yeah, it's... uh pretty 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 interesting that uh McCarthy's taking over to be honest Bellator had to do something to uh make a splash because losing Jimmy Smith is a really big blow Jimmy Smith isn't just like a long tenured Bellator uh um analyst and a play by play guy he's actually one of the very best in mixed martial arts there are very few people who I would put on a level of um understanding communication and experience as jimmy smith i mean he's essentially like a brian stan it's pretty much as far as i was concerned as far as guys who are on the call who are who do a lot of shows i'd probably say it's brian brian stan and jimmy smith would have been a tie i know a lot joe rogan's got a lot of fans but a lot of joe rogan's appeal is he has 
he has a he has a an understanding of the martial arts most specifically traditional martial arts and grappling but a lot of his appeals he kind of speaks from the point of an educated fan a guy lands a good shot he gets really excited he gets the crowd really pumped up because he's emotionally invested but as far as a guy who knows the pace of the fights and really does their research on the fighters their strategic tendencies their mentality the concepts they use in training and being able to kind of walk you through the steps they're going through mentally strategically and technically jimmy smith was the guy who made bellator go and it was shocked me that they let him go so they had to bring in somebody um my concerns are i really don't know how well mccarthy's going to come up, come off on the microphone a lot of people think it's very easy you know some fighters say well i'm a fighter so i know how to do it or you know or, and it doesn't really matter it's not just a matter of experience it's a matter of one being able a communicator being able to communicate and express the points and hit the right points tell a story and to follow the action uh, the rest of it is a matter of skill and understanding like you have to be able to communicate what you're seeing you have to be able to do it well you have to understand it well enough to be able to, you have to have the understand technical understanding to explain it what you're seeing what's being done what's happening why it shouldn't be done why it should be done and a lot of guys have the technical experience. A lot of people have the skills. Some people even have fighting experience. But that last part, that ability to effectively communicate and handle the ebbs and flow of a fight, saying just enough to educate the fans and not too much that kind of scares them away or goes over their heads, that's the hard balance. Very few guys have that ability. I don't know that Big John McCarthy has that. I'm not saying he doesn't. And he, he'll come with a unique perspective because he is a ref. And he's ref so many world championship fights. He's ref for the not just the best fighters in recent times. He's ref for some of the legends of mixed martial arts, all the you know from 20 years back. So his his resume of experience and his resume of perspectives and understanding the behind the scenes stories really stands out among other among other other analysts, other behind the desk guys or play by play guys. But once again, we don't know how he's going to be on the microphone because I would assume that he'd have to be the guy carrying a lot of the weight in regards to how the calls and the fights go. I mean, Goldberg is more of a, uh, he's more of a personality, hits all the key points, kind of moves the narrative along for the fans, but he, he doesn't know enough. He doesn't know enough of the ins and outs of the finer points of striking or grappling to really call the action in a certain way to really let the fans get a better sense of why the coach, why the coaches are saying certain things, why the fighter is doing certain things, why that's not working. He, that's not his forte. That's not his wheelhouse. Um, that, that was really Jimmy Smith. So I, I'm, I'm very interested to see how they pull this out. I mean, Mauro Ronaldo is a great guy. He's very good at this sort of thing. But Jimmy Smith brought just a certain kind of professionalism, a certain perspective that, you don't, that most guys don't have. And now they've lost that. So the only thing I can assume is they're going with McCarthy because McCarthy's the next biggest name, the next biggest personality. I mean, outside of Dana White, he may be the most familiar person in mixed martial arts. I mean, there's probably Dana White, um, John McCarthy, maybe even Herb Dean. And I know a lot of people say guys like Conor McGregor, but they're the fighters. But even among fighters, John McCarthy's got a bigger Q rating than most fighters. Herb Dean has a bigger Q rating than most fighters because fighters see them in Bellator, they see them in UFC, they see them in Risen, they see them in all sorts of different organizations at all sorts of different levels. So people know who they are in, in some phases bigger, more than they know the fighters. So I, uh, I really think Bellator was trying to strike a nerve 
and trying to put themselves in a position where they could have somebody who might be able to keep them in the discussion with the UFC. Uh, so, like it, what I think is interesting there, because I, I didn't get to hear everything you said, so if I repeat something you say, I apologize. We are trying to work to get Arlene in on the show. But I think what something you said that is most interesting to me is that <clears throat> I, we one, we don't know what this is going to work like. We've seen McCarthy do some commentary in the past, and it's been, I mean, it's been a long time since the Fight Network was around. And I think I think maybe Luke Thomas was talking about this earlier um, this week, but <clears throat> what I find most compelling is the fact that we're taking one of the most tenured and most experienced and most knowledgeable individuals out of the cage in a referee sense and putting him on, on the outside. Talk to me about what the impact that's going to have on the fights themselves, because I'm pretty sure that when guys saw, okay, Big John is refereeing my fight, they, I don't want to say necessarily felt safer, but there's a um, big sense of credibility that comes with his name. Talk to me about that angle. Is Do you think now that fighters are kind of w- will be more concerned if they have a less tenured referee in their cage with them and John's sitting on the outside? Yeah, I mean, it is, it is going to be odd that the most credentialed and decorated referee will be sitting outside of the cage instead of calling the fights. And you have to imagine that with his experience, he's going to point out when a ref makes a bad call or ref's in the wrong spot. That's that's the uniqueness of what he brings. He's going to be able to pick that apart. And it won't just be fans, you know, making a general statement or a general call. It's going to be someone who's done the job at the highest levels and had, who, who's had very few mistakes in his career pointing, the, pointing those things out. So I kind of feel bad for anybody who's refing a show on Bellator because if they thought they got it before when it's just fans, you know, pontificating about the mistakes they made or where they should have been or when the fight should have been called. Now you've got essentially, what, the best ref in mixed martial arts history calling it. And if we see it, that means he's going to see it. And if he sees it, he's going to call it out. And if he calls it out, that gives the complaints from the organization or from the fans all the legitimacy it needs. That's a really tough spot to be in as a, as a referee. What I think is really interesting too, though, is I wonder if he's going to be critical of other refs as well. If we see he's a bad, be. he's got to be though. You you can't you can't come in, you know, clearly with an agenda to protect the ref. You just can't. I mean, you see how other, in NFL when players retire and they start going on the media tour, be analysts or speak of the desk. The guys who won't the guys who won't say the tough things, the guys who won't make the hard statements, they don't last very long because you're not bringing anything to the show. I remember that was a big complaint about. Uh... Troy Aikman, when he became yes. an, an NFL commentator, basically because he was, he's a Cowboys homer. That's why, I mean, he should be. I mean, it's Troy, damn, it's, it's Troy Aikman. I wouldn't, I'm not mad at him for that. So I will, I'm definitely interested in seeing how McCarthy handles controversy from the referee's um, standpoint, if he's willing to communicate that to the fans, to what should have happened, what did he see. I think that's going to be um, a very imagine, interesting angle. I can't wait for that to happen. Imagine if he doesn't. If we see poor refereeing and he's not calling it, how does that make him look? You're the most experienced ref in the building, and you're and you're you're not calling this out. Uh, that's a real bad look. You know you know what I'm saying. You know where I'm coming from. I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be surprised if he did not um, if he did not call it out though. I don't know, man. If he doesn't do that, I don't I don't know what the purpose is happening there for because. The one thing I'm concerned about, I said this earlier, what is he like on the microphone? We have no idea. Hold on one second, Deshaun. So we have been joined by Arlene. How are you doing there? 
Hey, I'm good. How are you? Good, good, good. I'm glad um, we can finally hear you. So I need you to do me a favor. Uh, can you turn the volume down a little bit on your end? Yeah. Okay, good. Can you still hear us okay there? Yeah, that's fine. Awesome. Great, great, great. So uh, first and foremost, thank you for joining us, taking some time out of your busy week and chatting with Shawan and I about some MMA news and different angles and stuff like that. So thank you. First and foremost, we appreciate your time today. Right on, man. I appreciate you guys uh, having me tonight. So yeah, um, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I was very excited uh, to have you on. And, and once again, this is late, but congratulations on the big win for the gym and, and for yourself personally with a uh, Nico winning the flyweight championship. Thank you. It definitely was some, something we've been working on, you know, um, and we were very excited to uh, get that get that win that night. So go ahead, Shawn. Um, this is your show right here, man. So uh, run with it, and let's and let's talk to Arlene about her place in the in the sport. Yeah, yeah, Arlene. Uh, I wanted to really kind of first wanted to kind of step into your background and kind of your transition from, because I know you used to compete quite often, you were competing at a very high level in, in the world of kickboxing. I kind of want to know what got you into, what made you decide to leave from competing to training and, and how did your experiences as a fighter kind of influence the direction you took as, as a, a trainer? You know, just just progression, you know, uh, we're, as fighters, we're, we're basically always one injury away from retirement, and that's what kind of ended my career. I had blown, blown an ACL, and uh, it was just kind of hard to come back from that and uh, enjoy the sport of uh, boxing and kickboxing, um, boxing most of my life, and then kickboxing later on in life, and uh, just kind of stayed with it and uh, wound up meeting my husband and Tom and uh, wound up just opening up a gym, man, in 98. And, and we've just been going with our gym ever since. And it's, it's fit in HB out here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, so, you know, just, just basically loving the sport that I've done for most of my life and uh, staying with it and uh, enjoy helping other people grow into it too. You know, the funny thing about it is like, I, as I told you before, like I, I've trained martial arts on and off for the majority of my life. And the only other female uh, striking coach who I worked with her husband ran the gym and he was more of a uh, Sambo Brazilian Jiu Jitsu guy and she was like the striking expert. So it's just very, it's kind of funny to me because that's the exact same situation. It's kind of the reflection of it in talking to you. Sounds, sounds like it, definitely. Yeah, she was, she was really great. She, uh, I'd worked with a couple coaches really good. She was really, really detailed and had a kind of a broader, a broader scope. Some of the, I don't want to say all the men, but certain coaches tend to focus overly on the technique and not so much on the strategy and the concepts and if you're using a technique but you're not using it in the right place at the right time it it's effective it's ineffective no matter how good the technique is you have to have the time and place for where you're using it right, she was absolutely. really good about that i i had a couple sessions with her she was she was awesome she moved to houston so i don't train with her anymore but she was great one of the best i've ever wow. trained with but um that's cool the, the weird thing is because um a lot of people the minute they see they talk about albuquerque they automatically go to Jackson Wink. I know there's other gyms. There's a Chris, Latre Chris Latrell. I actually uh, did some work with him and Claudia for a while, but a lot of people don't mention y'all. I know when they talk about Tim Means, they mention y'all a, a couple times, but a lot of people don't know that Carlos Condit, if I'm not correct, originally started with you guys, and y'all been around for a very long time. Like, you're a very established, legitimate um, gym that puts out quality, quality fighters. So tell us a little bit more about your gym 
and, and kind of how y'all have grown for the people who don't know anything else about New Mexico except Jackson Wink? Well, Fit and HB started in 1998. Um, I actually acquired Carlos Condit when he was 15 years old. Timmy Means when he was 16. They were about two months apart with birthdays. Um, they, I brought them both up together, actually. Um, they were both strikers with me, um, so on and so forth. And, uh, um, you know, Carlos was with us for nine years, man. We got him all the way up to the undefeated WEC welterweight champion, first new, uh, world champion out of New Mexico. Um, he was with us for, like I said, nine years, left us in 2006. And uh, his record with this was actually a really good record. I believe it was 23 and four. And uh, once again, he was the undefeated four-time WEC champion and uh, just moved on, you know, moved on, to, you know, over across the street from us basically. And, uh, and him, Tim, and if you watch both of them, you can kind of see similarities there yeah. between Timmy and Carlos. So the transition, you know, especially um, from ranges. Yeah. And Timmy's the lefty. Carlos was the righty. It was like, you know, a twin brothers of different mothers, so to speak, you know, um, mirror images of each other. Um, but yeah, you know, and Timmy's still with us, man. He had his little fallout, obviously, you know, with the whole, you know, the law, breaking the law and stuff and getting locked up. But um, this has always been his home, man. And the doors were always open for him. And so he came back and, and we're still building him. So him and many other champions, so. Yeah. Now, let me ask, being that you've been there, and, and I'm just going to talk about Carlos for a second, is, is it very strange? Because in boxing, this happens quite often. You have a fighter who's brought through the amateurs or early the pro career, and then for some reason or another, they go to another camp. And, you know, that other camp, because they've got a bigger name or maybe they start winning a major title or they're on a bigger stage, then all of a sudden that new camp kind of gets a lot of the credit, even though the previous coach or trainer kind of developed the... Uh, the structure or the fundamentals of that person like not saying the new camp doesn't add stuff or doesn't help refine stuff but the the character and the core of who that fighter is was developed somewhere else and that kind of gets forgotten especially in mixed martial arts we actually had steven Wright on and, and we were talking about how certain coaches always get named even and they forget to mention that this person was with another camp for 15 years or the formative years of their career so somebody else actually defined that game and refined it and smoothed it out maybe somebody else just added something else onto it in another aspect but they didn't build that fighter they didn't create that guy in his identity right yeah and it's unfortunate you know the people from new mexico know you know because they've been here and they've, they've gone through the process with us since 98 so but it's the outsiders that, that don't know they have you know unfortunately they haven't taken the time to find out who built who built him you know but it's you know it is what it is what do you do you know um there's nothing, you know, we just, we, we move on. We focus on the people that are here under this roof and in this gym and, and we keep moving forward, you know? Yeah, I, I, the only reason I bring it up is because, and, and as I told you before, like I've I worked with some fighters and half of the, of getting your name out there is when the fighter acknowledges you or the fighter mentions that you assisted in this. And in some cases, the mixed martial arts, people just hear the Greg Jackson, the ATT, and, you know, when I talk to some of the fighters, they're like, well, so-and-so came from this camp. He's only been in our camp for a couple years. He was with this other camp for seven, eight years. And I'm like, I never hear that mentioned in an article. I don't hear it mentioned on the UFC broadcast. So there's a lot of good coaches who are getting overlooked or maybe not even being known about because 
they just key in on those key names, ATT, Cordero, Kings, Jackson. And it, to me, it kind of hurts the development of the sport because you have so many people kind of, whenever you have a camp, some camps have a system. So you have a bu bunch of fighters, 40 fighters, all in this system. And it kind of limits the kind of techniques, the strategies, the concepts, and approaches to the striking or grappling that you would see because everybody's flocking to this big name camp. Well, it takes people like you guys, you know what I mean, to kind of help us and put us out there. So I appreciate you guys, you know, sending the shout out for sure and, and allowing me to to go ahead and, and give a little bit of our background and, and, and put it out there, you know. So um, um, I definitely appreciate people like you guys to uh, to help us spread the word. Like I said, some people just don't, they just kind of look at the, the book. They don't open the book. They just look at the cover, you know, and... Uh, and it's just kind of unfortunate. It is what it is, though. You know, we're not going to sit here and, and, and whine about it. You know what I mean? Once again, the energy, the positive energy goes into the individuals that are here, that are willing to work hard because they know that what we can produce because we've been producing. We have, we have about, in, under the, in this room, in this gym, um, we have over 20 world-rated fighters, you know. And... Um, so it's we're not doing anything that we've never done before. This isn't new to us. This is what we do. Um, there's myself, Tom Vaughn, and then John Judy, the wrestling coach. It's not a large staff, but with that being said, we 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 give out quality teaching. You know, it's not about the quantity of students. It's about the quality of teaching that we can share with those students, and then those students in turn produce what we've what we've extended to them so we're real proud of what we've done here we might not be a huge name out there but those in the business know who we are yeah that that's what i like when i talk because i i spend a lot of times in gyms and i i talk to fighters i'll talk to coaches whether it's boxing gyms mixed martial arts i used to travel all over and that's what i usually like when i consider a coach it's not just who your best your best most talented person is i need to see how it is with the lesser talents or the less experience is that consistency is where you see the quality coaching because anybody can coach talent that's that's not the hard part it's that's right undeveloped talent or coaching people who aren't athletically talented that's where you start seeing does somebody really really understand concepts situational awareness cage iq or ring iq do they really know the tricks in the of the trade and the the drills and the and the development the little developmental things that can have a lesser talented guy either be competitive or beat a much more talented guy. And a lot of coaches, a lot of coaches don't have that. I, I see a lack of mentoring, especially in mixed martial arts, because it's still so new. A lot of guys just have their own system. They don't have any, uh, they don't have a mentoring process where they kind of learn from somebody and, and pick up skills and knowledge and, and a general game plan, which they can direct specifically. And um, I, I, I find that to be missing in mixed martial arts. Do you see that a lot? I mean, did you have mentors who kind of help shape you and guide you into the the coach you were or was it strictly based off your experiences you know absolutely i had one of the best in the business his name was bill packer and uh from out here in new mexico and uh he created over a hundred world rated fighters pull him up william william packer is what he went under or bill packer and uh uh all strikers of course you know that was way before the mma game but uh, uh i believe he was with uh one of the magazines as um you know, coach of the year, and he got it two times in a row. I mean, that's how that's how good he was. But he was a mentor. Absolutely, man. I spent 18 years with him. So I learned a lot, you know, not just about fighting, but you know, I, I learned about, you know, theories, I learned about how to treat people, you know, um, so on and so forth, you know, and, uh, and, uh, 
it was, you know, I, I couldn't have asked for a better trainer. He's since passed away. He's been gone for a few years now, but you know, I tried to lead by his example and, uh, he was, he was pretty tough, man. He didn't, you know, he didn't take no for an answer and you never told him no, you know, you just did. And it was, yes, sir. And you just got the job done. You know, that's just how it was. Um, so I, you know, I, I share that with my students too. And I think that's why we have such a good core of individuals here. They're not just students that walk through the door, but we consider them family, you know? So we're really, we're pretty good. We're pretty tight knit group here. So, yeah, I, I really, I really, and, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the show. I've said this before. I'm on Twitter a lot. I talk to other guys. I really like how, what, what Tim does, especially his work in the clinch, how he transitions. A lot of people are effective in the clinch, but they have no ability to transition from range to the clinch without getting just lit up, which means they often can't get the clinch. And uh, Tim is very good at bridging that gap and getting in there without getting really taking a lot of punishment, getting control, and then going to work. He's not a guy who just settles for control. He starts, once he gets you in there, he, he, he turns the blender on, he starts chopping guys up. And I've always been very impressed by his ability to, to bridge the gap and transition from that punching range into that clinch range almost instantaneously. So I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed by that aspect of, of his striking. Well, that's one of the cool things about our fighters is you can't really put your finger on one discipline with our fighters. Our fighters are like, you know, they're, they're they, they're good at jujitsu. They're good at the striking. They're good at their wrestling, you know, whether it's defense or offense and wrestling, but it's real hard to kind of put a finger on, on them and, and people that have tried to maybe break down one of the disciplines. Like for instance, you know, everybody, obviously Carlos had a weak point in the wrestling and so did Timmy to, to a point, but you know what, man, even, even the guys that were trying to take those guys down, were getting punished on the, on the mat, you know, the yeah. elbows were coming up and, they were busted up. Most of their opponents did never want to fight them again, whether even if they, you know, even if we wound up losing, our opponents didn't want to fight us again because they were so damaged. That's very true. As uh, Teddy Atlas always says, you have to charge people, charge people uh, for the land. You charge them for entry. And every time somebody <laughs> yeah. does get a takedown on means or content, there is a very high door price to get that takedown and, and maintain right. it. Right, um, right. I, I, I was a little curious, what, as far as your philosophy, what's kind of what's kind of like what would you call the uh, maybe the hall the calling card of your of your teaching when it comes to striking? Is it some people like to be a volume person? Some people are a counter. Some people are the they're extra physical. I mean, it, is it is it is it a more technical thing? Is it more strategical? Or is it more just something more visceral? Like I just teach people to go out there and and go get them. No matter what you do, you just make them fight at every range and every level. I mean, what's what's your calling card as a coach as far as your striking style? You know, my striking style on a personal level, because I was I'm only five, six and I was I was brought up with with men. So I was always training and fighting and sparring against men. And uh, so I'm pretty much a counter striker. And if you notice, a lot of our guys, well, they're not so much forward movers. Timmy kind of gets pretty aggressive, but they're really good at counter striking. Also, so aggressive counter puncher, though, like he creates that pressure to get the opening. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and if you notice, there's good defense behind it. It's not just being so aggressive that you're forgetting that, you know, somebody can counter strike you as you're moving forward. So, you know, there's a, it's, it's, it, it's, it's technical, you know, I, I, I consider myself a perfectionist in, in, in the way of fighting. And I, I like to take my time and I like if I see openings and obviously we're going to tighten things up. And so I, I consider myself a perfectionist in, in that way. And, 
And so when I'm working with my students, we'll, we'll be so repetitive with something that it drives them nuts, you know, but in the end, the end result is, you know what, that they didn't have that opening anymore and, or they created it. Um, you know, for instance, the knee game that we play, we've got great knees, man, whether we're going backwards or forwards or in a clench position or, you know, working off the fence or jumping into the, so our, the knees from the gym here are really, really good. Um, so, you know, just basically man, whether one, it's- That's one thing about Carlos, it stands out. And I know for a fact that it didn't come from Jackson Wing because I know other people in right. that area who've expressed this to me before. His, his ability, right. the jumping knees, the knees when he gets those clinch it, entries and exits, I know for a fact that came from you guys. Even before I talked to you, I knew for a fact that it didn't come from them. Right, absolutely. That's so much repetition, man. We, we, we've drilled knees over and over and over, and that's just what we do. The elbow game, too. You know, Muay Thai had a, you know extensive... I used to train in, in Thailand quite a bit and uh, just got some really good pointers from Day, one of the best trainers, you know, that since passed away. Um, so, um, you know, the elbow game and the knee game, the breaking of balance, so on and so forth. And it just kind of fit right into um, the other angle, which is Tom Vaughn and John Judy, you know, the, the, the grappling part and also the wrestling part. And all three of us just kind of meld together and, and, and you see the product. Yes, yes, it, it was, uh, it, y'all done some work. I was looking back on some of your older fighters and, and seeing some of the progression from guys as they started out earlier. And you just see the progression, you see how y'all work to have that balance so that, because if you don't have that strike, that, that wrestling or that grappling balance, you can't strike effectively because you're so scared of being taken down or clinched up or tied up. So you have to be, not just have a passing or a shallow level of skill, you have to have a depth of skill and some nuance in those other areas so that you feel comfortable throwing that knee or getting that clinch. Because if you feel like you're a victim on the ground, you're not going to clinch. You might get taken down. If right, you feel like right. That person's going to shoot on you. You're, you won't throw a jab. You won't throw a kick because you're like, going to catch my leg. So instantly you take right. like 75% of your weapons. Right, exactly. And, and those you, grapplers beat up world-class strikers because the world-class striker doesn't want to go on the ground. So he's just going to throw basic true. and the grapplers just true. beat them up. Yeah, or they'll, you know, turn their back and run away because they just don't want, you know, get, get those legs caught and be put yeah. on their back. But, you know, the main thing also is the fact that, you know, you're watching some of our guys and thinking, wow, man, they, they transition really well. Well, keep in mind that these guys that came to us, they had nothing, man. They came from nothing. They had no background in anything, you know, maybe a street fight or something, but they had no background in anything. They came to us raw. And we've taken that time and that dedication with this individual to build them into something that's at the highest level, which is the UFC. Exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I was talking about earlier. You actually, you actually built fighters and like Ra Raphael right. tra trained, he's competed a couple of times. He, he's worked corners before. I've been in a lot of gyms. I got spar couple spar pros and, and being there. And you, you see a lot of guys who come in almost finished products and there is a skill to having a guy who's right at the edge and you pushing him over, that's a skill too, because obviously they could cross that finish line. Like TJ Dillashaw with, um, what's his name? Uh, Ludwig, he kind of got him across the finish line. Team Alpha Male got right. him right there, he pushed him over. And there's right. a skill to that, but it's really hard to build somebody from scratch. That's, that's, that's the most right. difficult thing when they don't have any point of reference or they don't know how good an athlete they are, if they have power, if they have strength, and you're just having to build the confidence and the awareness and the durability and the timing and the ability to read offenses and defenses. That's, that's a lot of work to build somebody from scratch. I'm not saying it's hard not to refine somebody, but it's very hard to build someone. 
well, which is why a lot of people like, you know, Uriah Faber and his team got so angry, <laughs> you know, yes. when that whole thing happened, you know, we, we get it, we understand, but you know, it's not just one gym that deals with it. You know, it, it happens, man, unfortunately, but you know, what do you do? You're going to cry about it. Or you're going to move forward and focus on the people that are under your roof at that time. You know, it's, it's, you just got to move forward, man, and focus on those people that, that want it from you, you know, and that's what we do. And uh, before we're, we're going to get to Nico in just a minute, but I want to ask you one question. Me and Raphael were talking about this before. And as avid, avid fans of mixed martial arts, people, you know, he works with fighters. I work with fighters. Very rarely do you see a woman in the corner, much less a woman who is not somehow related in some kind of relationship to the fighter. So that really stands out because nine times out of 10, you know, it's like Raquel Pennington is in Tisha Torres corner, but they're together. Manda Nunes, you know, it, it's very rarely you just see someone independently a female trainer, not in women's mixed martial arts or men's mixed martial arts. How did, I mean, like, how is that experience for you? Because, I mean, already, as we stated earlier, to a degree, your gym has maybe not gotten some of the accolades as other name gyms, but as a female trainer, do you feel like that's part of the reason you get overlooked? Do you feel that certain people might not give you an opportunity because they feel you have less to offer for that very same reason? You know, unfortunately, that's, that is the truth. Um, I do. I, I, you know, I, I, I know, man, I grew up in that man's world. Like I said, I only trained with men. I only sparred with men. I was taught by men and uh, I get it. I get it. You know, thank goodness those men gave me an opportunity. And that's why I'm here talking to you today about what we're talking about today, because they believed in me and they gave me an opportunity. I think that, you know, it's very difficult for a lot of men, especially in the fight business to look at a woman and go, Oh yeah, there's no way, you know what I mean? But you know what, if you, if you, if you give me a chance, man, I'm going to show you some stuff you've probably never seen before or that maybe it maybe improves something that you might not be very good at it. The thing is, is you just got to give me a chance. Um, work in the corner. That's that's just norm. You know, I don't I don't feel, you know, out, you know, out of bounds in that. I this is what I've done most of my life. I've been in the fight business almost 40 years going. I'm 39 years in the fight business now. So this isn't new to me. And uh, it's not new to me that, you know, men feel uncomfortable with women, you know, in the fight business. That's not new to me either. I'm, I'm used to that stuff, man. Do I like it? No, I don't. But it is it is what it is, you know. And uh, fortunately, I've got individuals here that believe in my teachings. And I've got individuals that, that show people that a woman can teach them and they can be at the highest level because of that female. Look at Bruce Lee. You know, I don't know, a lot of people don't realize his first trainer was a woman, you know, and, uh, and my gosh, you know, he's, he's a god in the martial arts. People, people to this day talk about Bruce Lee, you know, so I think once again, if people take the time to educate themselves, that uh, anybody is, anybody could be a really good teacher if you give them the time and see what they have to share with you, so... No, I, and I, I, have, I have four daughters myself, three 15-year-olds. They're all athletes. And uh, the, obviously, the five-year-old's just getting started, but we, we got on a training <laughs> regimen already. That's um, awesome. I have to give a shout-out to them. They, it was like when I talked about them on the show. They're very good basketball players, track, volleyball. So I'm all, I'm all for it. Me personally, I've, me and not so much Raphael, I'm very harsh on MMA corners because, I, like I said, I've dealt with a lot of fighters, and I'm like, what is your corner doing, dude? Like, what are they telling you? There's a guy I worked with once, and he had a really good jab, and his corner told him to stop using his jab, and I'm like, why would your coach tell you that? That makes no sense. It's the best weapon you have. So he stopped using his jab, went on a three-fight losing streak, 
decided he'd start using it after we had this conversation. Goes on a four or five winning streak. And then his coach starts telling him, man, that jab's not going to work. You need to be more exciting. And I'm like, you need to get a new coach, dude. This guy's wow. going to get you killed. <laughs> Well, well, you know, sometimes I, I also think also if you've never walked the walk, how can you talk the talk? I've been there, man. You know what I mean? I've been in there. I've, I've been in those trenches. I've been a fighter before at the highest level. So, I, you know, some of these people, I'm just blown away that they're willing to listen to people that have never been in the trenches before, you know? That blows my mind. You know, the thing I like about best about you and talking about this is, because I've, I've heard you in the corners a little bit, you're not, you pay attention, you don't, you're not stuck to your, your view of the fight. Like if you see something different happening in the fight, you were gonna call for something different. You're not gonna be like, no, we're gonna make plan A work. When clearly there needs to be an adjustment based off what that opponent is doing. And a lot of guys get so hung up on the fact that this is what I experienced and this is what we do. They at times can walk their fighter into losses because they won't make an adjustment. They keep, right. keep and it's like, cause I, some of the guys I've worked with, they have coaches who are fighters but they get really stuck on plan a and we're going to do plan a because that's what we do at this camp and like plan a is getting your guy killed and they won't get off it because that's it's kind of their since it's their system it's their kind of ego involved they don't they yeah exactly kind of their stubborn ego exactly no you know we train for everything man and and you know sometimes we're like we've got this little thing going on i don't want to call it a game plan because we're not really game planners in that in in, in that sense of the word but we train for everything, man, because this is fighting. Fighting can turn into anything at any given moment. I mean, it could flip from from two guys just in the in the in the MMA cage boxing to you know somebody shooting that takedown, and all of a sudden you're on the ground. You know, what I mean, we're 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 a multi-dimensional gym here, and uh, I make sure that my fighters are going to base, especially my strikers, are ready for anything, man. I'm not going to just if we if we go up against a guy that might be a great kicker. We're going to be able to defend against those kicks. Do I feel like we have to be great kickers to be able to beat a kicker? Absolutely not. What we need to do is we need to be able to defend against those kicks and work those counters on those kicks. And then we're going to smash the person, you know? But we don't have to be a kicker against a good kicker, you know? Me and you should be best friends. We can have these conversations all day long. I love these conversations. (laughs) I love, I I talk, I could talk about this. I talk like this all the time. Raphael's like, dude, we got to show, rein it in. We got to keep it a couple hours. I'm like, all right, dude. But, uh, so I, I wanted to um, yeah, turn the conversation towards like some of the things that are going on today. So yeah, as Swan mentioned at the start of the conversation, you know, you're definitely um, at a point where you have a fighter now in the UFC, not only in the UFC, but she is the um, inaugural flyweight champion. So talk to me about what that change has done for not only you and your camp, but Nico as well. What has what has winning the show and winning the, the title really done for her in you and your team as a, as a whole you know nico was nico was our star before she was your star put it that way we we look at all our people that way there's nobody that we overlook everybody's on the same level whether they're in the ufc the you know legacy king of the cage it doesn't matter everybody's our star to us in our eyes and her but her winning that man that's cool that's right on but you know what that was no doubt in our mind we know what we have here you know, and, and did we get any bigger? Did we get any more students? No, we didn't. But you know what? We got Nico. We got Timmy. We got the people that we've been dealing with the whole time. We don't change because she's the new 125-pound world champion. We keep doing what we do. You know, our, our egos don't get blown up because of it. We keep doing what we've been doing since 1998, and that's creating champions. 
So when you look at where she is within the uh, within the division now and how the flyweight division is kind of still developing, I mean, we have two big fights this weekend with Paige Van Zandt and um, Jessica I. They're, they're, they're fighting separate opponents, but a lot of people are looking at them and names like Valentina Shevchenko as potential contenders. What are your thoughts on the idea that Montano, how she matches up with some of those names that people are expecting to come into 125 and become title contenders? Well, you know, Nico's still pretty green, man. We've got a lot of room to grow, and we're really excited to, to the future um, and where, where she's going to match up. So I think she's just going to be fine wherever with, with whoever they put in there with her. We just give us some time and, and let us let us do what we do. And, and Nico's such a good student. Um, she listens. She applies. She does what she needs to get done in order to get the job done, which is apparent. You guys saw it. She's got a big heart. She's got a warrior spirit. She's not going to ever give up. You know, she went in there with a broken foot, you know, and most nobody really knew about it other than us here at the gym, you know, and uh, but she sucked it up, man. She told me, you know what, coach, it doesn't matter. I got to get this done. And she got it done. You know, we went up against a, a, a girl that, you know, Mata Ferry, that's been in the business a long time. She's a veteran, you know, and some people say, oh, well, she didn't get to train for, you know, five rounds. Mata Ferry's been training for 14 years. <laughs> How much time do you need to train for a five rounder? She's been training 14 years for that moment, you know, and uh, Nico's only been in a few years, man, a couple of years. So I think, you know, once she's healed up and everything's good and we get back on track and we're doing our thing, I think Nico's going to match up with the best of the best. And I think people are going to be, you know, probably blown away. But like I said, man, she's got a lot of room to grow. She's really new to the sport. And uh, we're, we're so excited to, to move forward with her and to retain the belt. Um, you know, we just we're, we're really excited for that. We're excited for the women's divisions. We got other women here also that are in Invicta, uh, other other promotions also that, you know, are so excited about it. I think the women's divisions right now are blowing up. I think some of the women's fights are actually sometimes more exciting than the men's fights. You know, so I, I look forward to seeing the women's divisions grow. And I'm thankful to Dana White that he added this 125 division. That's the weight that I used to fight at. And that's one of the. That's one of the largest weight classes there is for women. Hey, Arlene, I wanted to ask you something real quick. Um, well, first of all, a lot of people kind of were complaining about the quality of the competition in the house. It was clear who they wanted to be in the finals. We all know that. That was very obvious. Right, right. And a lot of people, and I'm not hating them for it. I get why. Um, but the thing about it is a lot of people are saying like Valentina, first of all, on a technical level, and I'm, I'm sure you know this, so I'm not telling you anything you don't know. A lot of people forget why Valentina's had the losses she's had. And if you understand why she had the losses she had, then you know that with a little bit of seasoning, even even maybe even right now, that Nico has a chance, has a chance, at least a 50-50 chance of beating her because of some of the tendencies she has that have cost her big fights before. There's a reason she right. lost. And it's not right. just because somebody's bigger, stronger. There's actual strategical and coaching things that were done that cost her those fights. That's right. I've said that many times before on the show. Raphael can can vouch for me on that. But um, what I really want to talk about is a lot of people didn't give Mata Ferry her, her due, her, her props. This was the best Mata Ferry that's ever existed, for one. And Agreed. I'm not going to lie to you. I actually picked her to beat Nico, not because I thought she was just so much better than her overall, but it's that veteran experience. Experience matters a lot to me. Experience matters a whole lot to me. 
And my question is with a lot of young fighters is when they get in this, when a, at some point, if you're fighting a veteran, they're going to figure you out and they're going to put you in a bad spot. And a lot of young fighters don't have the poise and the self-discipline and control to A, survive, and then B, make an adjustment and come back in that next round and take the fight back over. And when we're, I was watching the fight live in that second round, it seemed like Mataferi had made the read, she had the timing, and she was about to start taking over in the fight. And I thought she was going to walk Nico down. And then Nico, tough spot, and then she came back out and she made an adjustment as far as the volume and the physicality of how she was approaching. And that made a difference. From that point on, she, it was still a back and forth fight, but she was, in my estimation, more firmly in control of the fight from that point on. It was still a tough fight because Mataferi's got so much experience. <laughs> And she's, she's world-class tough, world-class hard. Nobody's going to doubt that. But um, I, I really was impressed by the poise she showed. And a lot of people still say she's green. And I, I know you feel that way. But in beating Murphy, Tonchak, and Mata Ferry, those are some of the most experienced women in mixed martial arts history, period. That, to me, that would make her grow. like that's, that's worth like 10 fights against regular girls. Because these women are all women who are very comfortable in multiple ranges. They have a high-level experience against the best in the world. And I feel that that's going to help Nico immensely because she's been tested by people who just were so proven. And most girls aren't getting that kind of that kind of competition at this point in their at this point in their career. Agreed, agreed. Um, you know, it, it's, we we're very fortunate to be able to to have opponents at that level uh, in in the tough house. Um, but it goes to I mean, if you think about what you're saying, I mean, it it just goes to show you. The, the type of training and the teachings that we have here at FIT and HB, you know, because without that, that wouldn't have been accomplished. So those are the students, that's the teachings that we're passing on to our students. We're trying to help them to be, you know, more poised and, and mature about stuff. We're not, we're just not going in there and just, you know, brawling. This is a, this is a game of strategy, a game of inches. You know what I mean? And we're going to take our time and we're going to use our brains over brawn most of the time. You know what I mean? We're going to be smart about this and, you know, and hopefully at exciting at the same time, you know, um, I felt like there was a lot of, of tools that we didn't get a chance to use because of the injuries that were involved, unfortunately for Nico, the night of the fight. Um, but, you know, as we progress and as she heals, things are going to start coming out. And I, you know, I don't know if you've ever watched any of her past fights before the, the ultimate fighter house, but you know what, she's pretty technical, man, and she's really rounded. So we just got to go ahead and, and keep moving forward with that, get her healthy. And, uh, we're, we're still working, man. And I think you guys are going to be really amazed at who this young lady comes out to be the next time you see her fight. What? I could tell the technique when she was fighting Murphy because Murphy applies a lot of pressure. She doesn't have really good footwork, but she applies so much pressure she can trap people and get her hands on them. And she kept on turning her and exiting and ending on those angles and switching up the switching up what she threw and switching up which order she threw it, and that kept her off balance the whole time. I liked how she had that uh the versatility because against Murphy she kind of out slicked her, hit the angles, gave her some variety, gave her some volume, and just essentially picked her apart against Hanchek. She came right out and she just she just basically manhandled her. She kind of went to the opposite end of the spectrum and just bullied her and worked her over. And then she comes in against Mata Ferry and she's, you know, she's out working on the feet because Mata Ferry, even though she's improved, she's kind of, she's not very organic in how she strikes. It's she's she's not a natural striker. So a lot of her stuff right. is rehearsed striking. Right. And right. What Mata Ferry kind of, I felt in the second round, she kind of figured Nico out a little bit. And then Nico made an adjustment. She came out there and it, to me, it seemed like she was doing less like 
clean combination striking, putting up the volume a little bit more. And when she got in clinches or tie ups, she started punishing her, started being real physical with her. Like she knew Mata Ferry can handle that level of punishment or that level of physicality. And so she took advantage of that instead of real clean fight where Mata Ferry would have some moments to rest or maybe set something up or or bait her into making over committing on something and walking into submission. That was my read on the fight. No, and that was a good read. It, it definitely was a good read. I mean, but I think a lot of people can see that out of Montefiore. Unfortunately, you know, I'm 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 a fan of Montefiore, man. She's she's a great individual, a great person, and obviously one that's evolved. She had no striking ability, um, you know, what a few years ago, and uh, you know, man, you know, she she looks world worlds apart now with her striking, which is fantastic. But yeah, I think that you know, obviously, it's the obvious. It was the obvious for sure that. That pressure on Montefiore is, is what, what crumbles her, you know what I mean? So that kind of worked you'd be out. You'd surprised how many fighters wouldn't make that, how many fights. I mean, I'm sure you've seen enough fights where a little bit of pressure and physicality would have won the fight and, and the coach is not calling for it. It's like this person can't handle the pressure and physicality and they won't call for it. They're like, no, we want it clean. Sometimes you, you, can't, you can't have it the way you want it. We, like I always tell guys I work with, let's just get the win this time. We'll worry about clean and exciting all that next time. Let's just, let's just get this win first. Well, you know what, I, you know what, I got this thing that, you know, I, I kind of always go back to, I feel like fighters are born, not necessarily, especially champions, champions are born, not necessarily, fighters are born and champions are made. You know, Nico's one of those born fighters, man. She just kind of got it. She's got this natural sense. Obviously you saw, you saw that. And, you know, you, you can't, you can't train somebody for some of those things. Some of those things just come naturally, man. That heart she was born with, she was not going to give up in any position that night or in any of the fights that she's been in. So, yeah, you know, that, it's that was true. She never, no matter if she got taken down or she was up against the cage, even if she got taken down, she fought the takedown when she got down, even if she wasn't getting up, she was fighting to get up. So the person didn't have that safety zone. Like I got her down. She's going to try and think and recover. She was trying That's to right. scramble up or trying to get a submission or trying to reverse instantaneously. Like, so you're working right. every minute in the cage. Yep. Because as you know, a veteran, they have their safety spots. And when you're going up against a veteran, young guys tend to get a little defensive. So they're like, oh, wait, I don't want to make a mistake. So they cover up and it's like, you just let them have rest. Now that's 30 seconds of rest they have. Right. So, right. No, you know, you know I, we I were really so appreciated what she did. Um, so do you proud think of her. Yeah. This is going to kind of start benefiting y'all like do you think this is going to be like the turning point because i mean this is a very big thing the inaugural champion there'll be other champions maybe but until she loses the belt or retires she she's the one and only. she's the first that's that's historic right you know well you know she her foot's in the door she's made history already she is the first one you know and and you know as what you know as well as i do you're not the real champion until you defend that belt <laughs> you know yeah. so our goal is to defend that belt to become the, the real champion at 125 and, um, you know, and then move on from there. So, uh, you know, we're hoping that, you know, the injury heals uh, soon. And uh, like I said, we get back, we start doing what we've been doing with her and uh, we move forward and, and we get ready to defend that belt that she just won. Um, but, you know, Nico, she's a hard worker, man. Uh, I think I think she was way underestimated in that tough house, and but that's okay because it, you know our background, and uh, we've always been underestimated, man, and and our and our we've always been dark horses, and uh, our people come out victorious, man. It's been a wonderful thing, but keep underestimating us, please, because it's okay to underestimate us because we're going to come out victorious. Bottom line. 
Yeah, I, so, I've seen a couple of fights. I, I I talked to some people I knew about it who who were involved, and I was like, Honjack's in trouble, dude. Like, I, I know she's good, but this is a couple years later, and I saw like I think one or two of Nico's fights, and I'm like, I don't think she knows what she's getting herself into. Like, they've seen all the tape on you. Nico's a fan of women's mixed martial arts, so she's seen your fight. You probably have not seen her, so you have no idea what you're walking into, which is the worst kind of scenario to be in. You never want to not know anything about who you're facing. That's because by the time you find out, it's too late. Right. And you know what? We even tell our students, we don't underestimate any of our opponents. We want them to be the best they can be. We're hoping they can be the best that they can be on fight night because we're going to be that, you know, so we, we underestimate nobody in the fight business, not, not a soul, even if it's their first fight, we don't underestimate anybody. We make sure we do all our homework, even if we don't get to see a video on them, which is just fine, which, which as I go back to, we train for everything, man. We're not just, we don't have this game planning thing going on. We train for it all because we need to be prepared when it, when it does come out there, we need to be prepared. We're not going to be like without an answer. So that's what we do. I can tell you the team that we got here, man, there's only, you know, three head coaches here. It's been working. We're not going to change anything. We've been having a great time. We have great students here. We have many, many champions here, male and female. And uh, what we've been doing is working. So we're pretty excited about the future. And, and hopefully it does hold, hold some bigger and better things for us. Hopefully our name does get out there. And if it doesn't, it's okay. We've been doing this uh, 20 years next year. Well, so I guarantee you, I'll be saying your name quite a bit. Quite, I, I'll be talking about it quite a bit because that was a very impressive job. You, a lot of people are trying to downplay it because of the competition or whatever. You can spend any way you want. You beat some of the most successful female mixed martial artists in the history of the sport, and you did it with a girl who was still learning, still not, yeah. not even at her peak at all. And, and she did it impressively in every fashion. And I, I really hope that it starts benefiting y'all as far as you getting more more students and just more mentions and more opportunities because that that's that's what takes you from that not that you're not at a high level but takes you to the mainstream and gets you those opportunities and sponsorships that come with being associated uh with a certain fighter being associated with being at a certain level i mean hey you know but you know what's cool man we don't we're not we're not looking for all that glam and shit you know what i mean we, we're digging right where we're at it's all good we we enjoy the people that we have because they're they're still grounded and they're humble. You know, they're not these big egotistical people you don't even want to be around. You know what I mean? They're they're really cool people, man. And and we we dig hanging out with everybody here. Like I said, we got a family going on here. So, you know, what will be will be. All you know the people we got, they're all winners, man. They're all champions. Yeah, I'm just a big I'm a big fan of coaching and coaches. Like on our show, we've had a lot. We've had Stephen Wright, Marcus Davis. Uh, Trevor Whitman's been on, and I'm, I'm big on coaches who understand the game and who know how to work a corner and know how to prepare and know how to, to get their, their the fighters focused back on. Because these guys have very short careers, and you need people in the corner who are going to prepare you in a way that's going to enable you to have a long and successful career. And even if your career isn't long and successful, get you out of there with your faculties and your health. And part of that is being trained properly. As far as defense, right, offense, and if you notice, a lot of our fighters they don't take much damage. No, they do <laughs> We've not. been no, they sure don't. You know, we'll, no. we'll we give a lot of damage, but we don't take much damage, man. We're that's that's the kind of the cool thing, uh, and I'm real proud of everybody like that. Obviously, we are doing something that's really good because they don't take much damage at all. Yeah, I know. I know y'all don't hear about getting the, the acclaim, but when you, I'm a I'm a big boxing fan. I I'm just a huge coaching combat sport fan. 
fan of anybody who's a good coach. I'm, I'm just big on that. That's just one of my things. So I like people to get their, their respect. I like people to get their moment in the sun because I think when people do good work, everybody deserves their opportunity to get their moment in the sun and be acknowledged for the work they do. That's just how I am. Well, I'm, I'm an even bigger fan of you guys now. I didn't know much about y'all, but you know what, man? I appreciate you guys, you know, letting me do this this evening and uh, throwing us out there and, and letting, you know, hopefully, you know, there's people actually listening and paying attention and educating themselves. Once again, that's my big thing. People need to educate themselves, man. They they, they call things out. They, they say shit, but, you know, they don't even know what they're talking about. They you know, nobody, we've been around, like I said, almost 20 years next year with Fit and HB, and uh, we produce some of the, some of the, you know, best MMA fighters that have been out there, but nobody wants to take the time to, to look, and they just figure, well, they came from that gym, that must be where they're from. That's not even the case, man. So, you know, appreciate you guys, and, and props to you guys, and, and hope you guys, you know, move forward in a big way, and, and 2018 is a kick-ass year for you guys. Definitely, definitely. I'm going to stay in touch with you, Arlene. I'll I'll get in touch with you on Twitter, but I want to stay in touch with you because I I enjoy this conversation. Yeah, we um, definitely thank you for taking some time out um, to talk with us today, and we definitely look for the best out of you and your team going forward in the future. So we appreciate your time today, um, Arlene. Right on, guys. I appreciate you guys. Thanks a lot. No problem. Thank you. Have a great night. Thank you. You too. Good stuff. So that was always, um, as always, that was a great conversation there, Schwan. So let's continue yeah. and uh, go ahead. Before we go, we every time we have a coach, the next coach comes and just raises the bar a little bit more. You know, Trevor Whitman had a high one. He 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 left, left us on a real high note. And I'm gonna say she she might have broke that barrier. She might have broke it. Yeah, definitely. Um, she yeah, we good. definitely appreciate having uh, Arlene on, on the uh, show today. That was a great um, great conversation there. Yeah. Once again, if y'all like women's and mixed martial arts and, and coaching, you heard Arlene. She's on the show. She's very educated. Any fighters or coaches living out there, give her, give her, give her a talk to because she she knows her stuff. And we need to see we need to see more women who have that experience and skill getting their due too. I'm not saying men can't get their due, but you know let let's make sure everybody gets their chance to show their skills and show their knowledge and share their skills and share their knowledge too. Sorry to interrupt you. Go right. No problem. No problem. So, um, Arlene, you can hit the uh, you can hit the red button at, at the bottom there because we're gonna go ahead and move on to some um, different topics. Thank you again for joining us tonight. Right on, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you. So, um, Schwan, man, we got quite a bit to talk about because this is this is a pretty interesting weekend. This is our first weekend back for our um, MMA action for 2018. So let's look at the first thing I want to talk about is you know we just spent the last hour talking about. Um, women's mixed martial arts. Let's talk about this potential fight between Amanda Nunez and Chris Cyborg. First thing first, is this fight really going to happen? Because you have, as always, you have UFC President Dana White saying one thing, where it's a fight to make. Both women have already agreed to it, et cetera, et cetera. But then you have Amanda Nunez saying one thing, and you have Chris Cyborg saying something different. First things first, do you believe, do you agree with him? Is this a fight to make for both women's bantamweight and, and women's featherweight? If you're trying to get a money fight, a fight that's going to draw some kind of interest and has excitement, Amanda Nunez having beaten the two biggest names in mixed martial arts, women's mixed martial arts being Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate, coming off of another successful title defense, and Cyborg being unde- essentially undefeated and coming off of title defense, this would be it'd be the most, it'd be the biggest fight you can make because of Nunes' record for knocking people out, being a dynamic athlete, being a dominant champion at her weight, 
Obviously, Cyborg's been a dominant champion since she's been on there. So this is this is probably the the best and biggest money-making fight you can make for Cyborg, and probably the most competitive. The only problem I have with this, is, and I have a lot of problem with Amanda Nunes, and I, I feel bad I shouldn't, but she could have had this fight if she wanted it. I don't know why she's talking about it now. She could have had this fight. If she would have said, no, I don't want Holly to get this fight, I'll take it. They would have given her the fight. She could have had this fight anytime she wanted in the past year and a half. I don't know why she wants it all of a sudden now. Like, maybe because she doesn't have a better option. But Nunes could have had this fight. All she had to do was ask. I guarantee you all she had to do was ask. And they would have made the offer to Cyborg. I have no idea where this is coming from now. So, there's, I mean, like I was even listening to, uh, I guess the MMAB, they were talking about it, how this is a fight that has been mentioned for quite a long time since both of their days back in Strike Force when Amanda Nunes fought at 45 as well. Um, I just, like, me personally, I understand why this is the fight to make right now for women's mixed martial arts because really for both divisions where else do you go we, with rocky being injured right now and not being able i mean she's clearly the number one contender in the bantamweight uh division women's featherweight you don't even have a division there you have megan anderson who can't I, 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 she has personal issues that, is, that are keeping her out, out of the octagon right now um and you can't win the fight well i mean there's, there's that there's that I definitely know you, you've spoken a lot about that. Then, then you have the other individual that um, Cyborg has, has mentioned, who's the current Invicta champion as well. But she's really like, she's a really unknown individual within the sport. You can't put her in a main event contest against Cyborg. Is this really all that they can do with this these both of these weight classes? Well, that, well, that's been the problem in both weight. That's why the flyweight, strawweight, every weight below 35 has been more competitive because they have more girls who fit into that weight class. I mean, to be quite honest, 45's never had a lot of people in it. If you think about it, the Ronda Cyborg fight was supposed to happen years ago, because Ronda used to fight at 45. 35 wasn't popular at all until she dropped down and the whole Rousey movement really caught fire. But the, both divisions have been fairly pedestrian as far as the overall talent. You have about three great world-class talents in the division, and then everybody else is you know, I mean, they either talented, but they lack skills. They're skills, but they lack physical talent. And then with the new division, the flyweight division, you got a bunch. You got half the girls in, in bantamweight dropping down to fight another weight class. So I mean, they really don't have as many options to really build the division, especially at 45. I know Cyborg says she wants to build the division, but there's really only like five, eight fighters in it. I mean, actually, most of the ranked fighters are in Bellator, to be quite honest. So I mean, there's not really a lot of people you can have an actual 45 division. It's going to be mostly girls who are moving up from Bantamweight, maybe really large Bantamweights moving up to 40, 45. There's just not enough bodies, not right now. So, I mean, if you're trying to make money and have a fight that people might think is competitive, who else do you put Cyborg in? There's nobody in Invicta who they think can beat Cyborg. I don't believe Megan Anderson can beat Cyborg, and I never have. And somebody from her camp seemed to disagree with me on Twitter a couple about a couple months ago, and, and we had this whole tirade about it. But the fact of the matter is she, she's not an interesting fight. She's not an exciting fight. Um, the one They had Cindy Dandua. She was in the UFC. She just had a big win at lightweight. But the UFC made her fight at bantamweight instead of having her come in at featherweight. She could have she could have fought Cyborg for the title. But they've kind of eliminated all their options. It's like they're almost trying to back her into the corner and make her have to fight Nunes. Because, I mean, who else, there's nobody else who's under their umbrella right now at 45. Durandami won't do it. No point in having Holly Holm fighting a rematch. Who are you going to get? Katz and Gano? I mean, so let's really talk no about 
this in, in, in a couple of different ways there because from a technical standpoint, what do you see if, if you see a, a potential fight between um, Cyborg and Nunez? How do you see that this fight and break it down for me there? And also, I don't know if you're moving around, but your mic is kind of rubbing up, up against like oh, fabric or sorry. something like that. So like let's let's kind of stop that. But um, talk to me about this from a technical standpoint. What do you see when you see these two women paired off against each other? The, the biggest thing before you get to a technical standpoint would be the fact that Nunez is a probably an elite athlete with real power, real explosiveness, real physical strength. And that's what's going to be the difference in enhancing the technique. Like Holly Holm was a counter striker, but she did, she's not a dynamic striker as far as her power. So anything she did, any shot she landed, didn't have the same effect as something that Nunez would throw. And Nunez is a very aggressive counter puncher herself. So Cyborg would have to be a little bit more careful in how she applies pressure because Nunez, Nunez hits very hard. She kills girls at 35 which makes you think that she could at least hold her own with Cyborg in exchanges, at least as far as distributing abuse. Um, the biggest problem I see for Nunez is that Cyborg notoriously puts a lot of pressure on people. She's very active, even when she's using controlled aggression. I don't know how Nunez operates when she has someone who's not afraid to fire off on her, someone who believes she can take her power, and someone who's willing to attack her at all three ranges. Cyborg will attack at distance. She'll attack with the hands in the pocket. She'll get into clinches. She'll grapple. She'll wrestle with her as well. And most girls are kind of fearful. They allow Nunez to be very successful on the feet because they don't want to get, have Nunez get on top of them. They don't want to tie up with Nunez because Nunez is known for throwing girls around, exploding into the, into the clinch with strikes, or getting people down and finishing them. Cyborg isn't going to have that fear of Nunez. Cyborg's probably more accomplished across more ranges than Nunez is. She's actually, in my regard, she's actually the better technical striker. She just gets hit a little bit because she, she's an aggressive counterpuncher. She pressures you to create the openings, to make you fire, and then she counters you. And if you do that, you're going to get hit regardless. Regardless how good your defense is, you're going to get hit. But the biggest problem is she can fight Nunez at every level. And when Nunez has had to fight at every level or really had to work in a round, she tends to get tired. People say she doesn't get tired, but that's because most girls don't make her work because they're kind of fearful of certain spots. Cyborg is not fearful of any spot in dealing with Nunez. She trains with better people in every possible range than Nunez. The thing that Nunez has an advantage of is she's younger, she has less mileage on her, and she can hit for power. Cyborg hasn't really been in with a really big hitter in a while, somebody whose power she had to really respect. So, so let me ask be... you this question there. Um, do you think, what do you think this fight looks like over, over five rounds? Does this fight even go five rounds? Because as you mentioned, Cyborg is an aggressive fighter and Nunez isn't one who has, has ever kind of had to face that type of, of, of aggression. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, I can't even really think of anyone who's kind of come forward on her. Even Kat Zingano's win over her was more like a desperation win at, at the last minute. And, I, and I'm sitting here trying to think now. I can't think of someone who's been known to pressure Nunez as Cyborg would. What do you think that looks like over five rounds of action? It doesn't even even go five rounds. I think I think initially it's going to be really careful because they're both counter-type fighters. And nope, they're not going to want to just set off exchanges. It's going to be really methodical at first. And after like the first round, maybe the, late in the first round, after the first round, somebody's going to get clipped. And that's when you're going to start seeing the exchanges heat up. Um, the reason, I, I don't think it goes all five because one, like I said, I've, I've seen Cyborg go four or five rounds routinely. Of course, she's not being tested in these four or five rounds as far as being pushed, but I've seen her do it. And the fact that she's attacking at all ranges, I feel the fight around the second round, that's when you start seeing the heavy exchanges. You start seeing the back and forth. 
I tend to believe that Cyborg can handle her power. I don't know how Nunes responds when Cyborg starts countering heavily, because Cyborg's known to work the body. And Nunes, I don't care what anybody tells me, I don't think her gas tank is there when you make her work. So I think between the, around the third round or so is when Cyborg will really kind of take over. And if it goes to decision, she's going to be in control from third round on. If it doesn't, I would think she stops her in the third. I, I, don't, like, I don't like Nunes' defense. Her defense is girls are afraid to engage with her because they don't think they can hurt her and they know she can hurt them. Cyborg will be the first girl she's had to face who's got as good or better striking and who's capable of actually doing damage to her, like in an even fight. When she fights Zingano, she beats Zingano up for two and a half rounds and just gas herself out. Uh, Cyborg doesn't have to wait for her to get tired to finish her. Cyborg can finish her from round one to round five, and that's a different thing she's been, what she's had to deal with before. And I've never thought Nunes' defense is very, very good, to be honest. Everybody hits Nunes. If you're willing to take the chances to get hit, you can land on Nunes. A lot of her defense is the fear of what she's going to fire back at you. Cyborg puts so much pressure on, you have to fire off just to keep her off you. So I think Cyborg's defense is better, and her body attack is what's going to end up essentially setting her up to finish Nunes. It, it, but like I said, if, if Cyborg comes in too crazy or, or gets too wild in exchanges, Nunes has the ability to finish her. I just think that Cyborg's more proven as far as her durability, her seasoning, and her experience, and she'll be able to navigate that and control that on her way to a win. Okay, so yeah, so that's definitely some key um, analysis there, and, I, and I'm 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 kind of interested in this fight, and I kind of want to see it happen just to kind of see, because really you won't have anything else to do with both of these women right now. So I am kind of intrigued about what could happen. Let me here. ask you one question before we move on. What happen either way, regardless of who wins? What happens next though? That's like exactly. The fight. Yeah. What, what what do we do then? Uh, what do you do then? You hope. Um, does Nunes, if Nunes wins, does she defend both titles, or does she drop back down to thirty-five? Because then you just made the forty-five title worthless. I mean, I think you gotta close that. You gotta close the whole division. Yeah, I mean, you have you, to. You, you wouldn't have a choice. You have to, and even, but even still, like, what's left at, after, like, if you have Raquel Pennington there, um, Castingano finally has a fight set up. So if she wins, you know, do you immediately put her back in the title picture because she's she's the last person to beat? Nunez, has so won, did has she won a fight since she's been back though? No, she lost to Juliana Pena, then she and then she's been out. Yeah, I, and then you have Juliana Pena, but she probably won't be back until next year. You know, dealing with pregnancy, so exactly. she already beat Sarah Mc, Mc, McMahon. She's defeated her. Yeah, who? I mean, who else? Who else is there? They can't trot Holly Holm right back out, right? They can't just put her back in a title fight. No, I mean, you can't, and even if, let's say, Valentina somehow won the flyweight title, you can't put her back in that picture because she's already lost to Nunez twice. Yeah. That, so, I mean, I guess that, it's that, really... That's why I'm hesitant to make the fight because regardless of whoever wins, you, you've already hit, you've already peaked. So now what? The 45 division could get closed out. Either way, Cyborg beats her. Who else, who else do we want to see you fight? Nobody. You've already beat the two biggest names in, in, in the women's martial arts right now. That would be Nunez and Holm as far as, like, established names who've accomplished something. So you've already beat them. Who else is there just going to get excitement? And if Cyborg loses, is Nunez going to stay at 45? And if she's staying at 45 for what? Who, who's there to fight at 45? There's less people at 45 than 35. Exactly, man. Not even a lie. Not even a lie. So let's move forward, man, because we have a pretty big, uh, important event this weekend with UFC Fight Night um, one. 24. I mean, 
I was I was looking at someone's commentary about this card here, and they had basically negative things to say across the board. And this individual, I mean, I'm not going to name names, but this individual is basically negative nine times out of ten when it comes to MMA. So I mean, it's really kind of like whatever. But the idea of a Jeremy Stevens the whole Choi fight that excites me because we know what Jeremy Stevens is about. We know what Doho Choi is about. We know what's going to happen here. These two guys are going to stand in the middle of the cage and they're going to and they're going to swing. Now, while that may not be the most technical fight of all times, it's not always technical fights that get us excited. We we knew that Justin Gaethje and Eddie Alvarez was not going to be a technical fight. We knew that that was going to be a slugfest. I mean, hell, they were deeming it the, a fight for the most violent man in the UFC. If that this if if the winner of that fight is the most violent man, this right here is a fight for what is it? One, one in one in one A, maybe number two, because yeah. these two guys are going to go in there and, and and they're going to go. I'm excited for this fight. What are some of your thoughts about Doho Choi versus Jeremy Stevens? My only concern with the fight kind of is once again, since Max was the champion, and 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 super, the Korean Superboy had lost. Like first of all, that military sir, that military duty he's he's got to do. He's got to perform. I'm kind of like if he wins and he gets a title shot, what if he what if he won a title shot somehow after this? And he is going to military service. How does that affect? I mean, they have to. They have to. What is it? January. If he was to win, and I mean, he's an exciting fight. And let's say um, Holloway beats Edgar. I wouldn't be mad at them putting together a fight for Doho Choi um, and Holloway at the end of towards the end of this year, maybe like Q3 or something like that, with the stipulation in place that if Choi wins, he vacates the title goes and does his military service and when he comes back he gets an immediate title shot right back because i mean well, on, on that point does the ufc want a, yet another title that's going to be won by somebody else because the other guy can't compete say that again like for example the lightweight title conor mcgregor hasn't competed they came up with an interim uh, john jones he got a legal problem so he couldn't defend his belt you who Choi would be on a military leave so once again you have to come up with another champion who did not beat the guy who had the title like if he was to win it yeah, and that's I mean, and and that is I mean that that's an, an, like that's a point of the game that we play here. But maybe I mean hell, maybe this could set up some type of tournament for the for, for the UFC to determine the was the featherweight champion while Troy is away if he were to become the the champion at some point in time. There are ways. I mean, there are ways that could be worked out down the line and really i mean ufc has never really been an organization about rankings anyway we've talked about that multiple times and that shouldn't be the reason to, to stop something like something like like troy's rise i mean troy is someone that fans can, can can get behind whether you're american whether you're korean wherever you're from and if he were to get by stevens if he were to find himself in a title shot picture um situation i would have no problem with him getting that shot and potentially becoming the champion knowing that he's going to go away for his mandatory service yeah i mean it, it's an exciting fight it's a it's a fight for the fans i mean and i like i like fights for the fans i like exciting fights i just like it when you don't have to make the choice between good fight exciting fight and important fight and I know Stevens has won a couple, but Stevens really isn't anywhere near the title fight, and they're trying to make this as some kind of title eliminator where the other guy has a leg up. And I don't know that either one of these guys, regardless of how they win or who wins, would be a legitimate challenger. You know, I mean, Holloway essentially has run through the division already. So if Stevens wins, we've already seen that. You know, and we've yeah. already seen, Steven, we've seen Stevens versus Edgar, too. 
So, I mean, what I would say is that if we, like, let's say we did end up with Stevens winning, how what I would do with him? Put him in there with Brian Ortega. If he if he can defeat Brian or Brian, then maybe he does deserve a title shot again. Like, there's ways we can work out. We can work this out. I mean, I, honestly, I, I sound like I'm sitting here trying to fix a relationship or something like that. But there are ways we could we, we could we could work this whole situation out that I think I'm not saying that the winner of this fight should become the number one contender or anything like that along those lines. But I wouldn't be upset with that. I, I think that the UFC is doing a good job of kind of creating fights that not only have intrigue from a action standpoint, but a storyline standpoint as well. And Putting these two guys together is kind of like it's, it's the right time. You have the old guard in in, in Jeremy Stevens, and you have a an up and comer in Choi, who people can get behind. So I'm 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 looking forward to this fight, and I'm looking forward to seeing what's next, regardless of who wins. Yeah, it's an important fight for Stevens though, because he seems to, every time he gets to a certain level, he seems to lose. I don't know that he can take too many losses to highly ranked guys. I mean, he's lost to almost all the elite guys in the division as it stands right now. I mean, he's lost yeah. to elite guys. It's come, I mean, you almost forget this guy's been in the UFC almost 11 years, dude. 11 yeah. years. And he's been, he keeps getting up to that point where like, he's lost to Joe Lozon. He lost to Gleason Tebow, Melvin Gillard, um, Anthony Pettis. That, that was a hell of a close fight. That could have really blown up Anthony Pettis' run back in 2011. I mean, he lost to Donald Cerrone, Eve Edwards. I forgot about that. He lost to Cub Swanson, Charles Oliveira. I mean, he's Stanford lost to some guys. Yeah, for Frankie Edgar, Max Holloway. Um, so, like, this guy, I mean, he's an, an elder statesman of the, of the division who kind of is like, he's like he's like the Jim Miller now. Like, the guy who you know is going to go out there, put in a great fight, but we wonder if he can get over the hump and become that, that top contender because so far we haven't seen that happen yet. Being Jim Miller is great for the fans and it's great for his overall reputation. I don't think that's the kind of guy he wants to be when – you can, when you think of his standing in the division. Yeah, when it's all said and done. Um, let's move on to Vitor Belfort and Uriah Hall. I mean, this fight, I don't really like it's It's pseudo, I guess, Vitor Belfort's retirement fight. He's saying that he will retire unless if he's offered $10 million to fight again. So, I mean, that's, that's whatever. Might as well retire right now. Might as well retire <laughs> right now. Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts about this fight here? And is this, is this really an, an intriguing bout? I mean, the only thing that makes it any sort of question is Uriah Hall, as talented as he is, tends to do a lot of things that gets him beat more often than not. And Belfort is still dangerous. Even in all his losses, he's still been dangerous for the first about two minutes. And I like Uriah Hall. He's got natural talent, dynamic, offensive fighter, great physical tools. But if you watch his fights enough, you know that he, he tends to walk himself into losses sometimes against people he should not be losing to. I don't think Belfort wins this, but for those first two minutes, Belfort could still put anybody away. He put, he had Kelvin Gastelum's respect early. He put Chris Weidman on his heels early. He, he can still be dangerous. And the question is, does Uriah Hall just go out there and, and put him away? Does Uriah Hall do Uriah Hall things and start letting him work his way in, letting him survive, giving him lanes of attack and, and get himself into trouble or possibly get himself stopped? I, I, can, I can see that happening. I mean, we've seen him put himself in, in a dangerous position time and time again. Yeah. What do you think about Hall? Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I, I think Hall, he's a championship-level talent. I mean, offensively, with his striking, even with his grappling, he's good enough where he should be 
top five, top three. He should be thinking of challenging for Robert Whitaker, getting a rematch with him, but he's just so inconsistent. Mentally, you just never know what he's going to do. He might get in a tough spot and just hang in there. He might explode with some offense and kill somebody. He might just sleepwalk through a fight and get beat up for three rounds. You, you just never know what to expect from him. And when you don't know what you can expect from a guy, you, it's very hard to ever really bet on him. It's, no matter what he can do, you just never know what he's going to do. So how do you really ever bet on that guy? Yeah, like really, how, how do you ever really bet on him? Um, talk to me quickly about Belfort's legacy, if, if this really is his last fight. Well, I mean, I know he's had the drug problems or the, the PED thing, but the fact of the matter is he's, he's competed in almost every major, major organization in mixed martial arts. UFC, originally, he won. He, he actually won a UFC tournament. I mean, he was competing at that point, won a heavyweight tournament. He won a lightweight title. He competed in um, Affliction. He competed in Pride. Like, he's, a, he's a, a stalwart and a legend of mixed martial arts. Even with the TRT thing, the fact of the matter is when he was using it, he was allowed to use it. So that's not cheating. He, he was allowed to use it. So those wins over Rockhold and over Bisping still stand. That knockout over Dan Henderson still stands. Because even though people consider cheating, it was underneath the rules at that time. I know he's got a little bit of the steroid thing on him. But, I mean, with a guy who's had his career for as long as he's had it, and it still managed to be relevant. I mean, up until probably about the last, what, three or four years, he was actually considered one of the better middleweights in the world. I mean, he, he's a legend by any estimation. And even though people who might not like him and, and think that he's weak, mentally weak, and he quits, the fact of the matter is he's shown a high level of skill throughout the entirety of his career. Whether he's won or lost, he's shown skill, he's shown determination, and he's shown improvements from all the, you can't be in this, this business for this long and not improve. And he's constantly improved from every stage he's gone to. So I, I consider him a legend. And even with the steroid thing, I don't, I don't hold them against them any more than I hold it against guys in Pride or other divisions who were, who were using it too. That's kind of the way it was back then. And I can't hold the TRT thing against him because he had an exemption and that was legal. So if I'm gonna do that, I gotta hate Dan Henderson because he was using it too. Yeah, there's so many guys. Um, I, mean, I consider him one of the better fighters, know. not one of the top 10. But he's probably in the top top 15, top 20. I mean, okay. he, he, lost, he, he, lost, he lost the best too many times. But when you have as many wins as he has against as many different types of guys and as different calibers of guys, you have to, he has to be in the top 20, 25 of MMA fighters all time. Definitely probably top 10 Brazilian fighters. Top 10, top 7. Yeah, I can definitely say that there too. Imagine if, imagine if that armbar would have worked. Um, oh man! Oh my God! Against John Jones, imagine. I mean, you'd have. I mean, he might he might be top five all time. I mean, beating John Jones, that damn that that would have been that would have been better than anything else in his in, entirety of his career. Beating John Jones is like Highlander. He just took his power as his own. But yeah, yeah, that that would have been that would have been life changing. I know he's a big star and he's huge, but that would have been life changing. That would have put him in that. Nogueira sort of era a fighter that that's where it would have put him at So let's move on and we have next up Paige Van Zandt and Jessica um, What's her name? Jessica Clark yes. Rose Clark. Yes uh, whew, This is an interesting fight man. And it's funny because I wrote about a piece about Paige Van Zandt and the UFC needing to be protective um, of her person that I guess her on-air personality because I'm just kind of watching how people comment about Van Zant now and it's a lot more negative than it was in the past um a lot more negative like the narrative around her 
and you know people are going to be trolls online regardless of the fact but people are being a lot more negative about Paige Van Zandt let's talk about this fight first though um this is their flyweight debut and what do you see here I I just don't know what Paige Van Zandt is going to show up like the best Paige Van Zandt is the one who is creating scrambles engaged in firefights, taking as much as she's giving, getting you in the clinch, and beating the hell out of you before pounding you out on the ground or submitting you. That's the Paige Van Zandt. Takes advantage of her physicality, her strength, her pace, her cardio, her, her body control. It takes advantage of all her best physical tools and kind of minimizes the lack of seasoning and layer of skill she has in striking and in grappling. Because she's, she's got general skills, but she's not super technical on the ground. She's not super technical on the feet. A lot of what she does is based on her athleticism, and what you're supposed to do with a fighter like that is slowly have improvements over the years, so then by the time you get to a title fight or you're seven fights in, you've turned yourself into a more technical brawler, a more technical fighter. You don't just try to go to the extreme, and in her last couple fights, she went from being a face-first, high-volume, pressure type of fighter into an outfighter who's throwing jumping kicks and trying to use her jab and and lead right, and it's just it's just terrible. And I, she can't do that against Rose Clark. Rose Clark's got better footwork, her boxing's cleaner, she's better in exchanges, her defense and her offense is tighter. If she does the same thing she did against Watterson, the same thing she did against Beck Rollins, she's she's gonna get beat within an inch of her life. Like, I picked her to beat, beat Watterson, and all she had to do was be the bigger, more aggressive physical fighter and wear Watterson out, and for some reason, she decided she was gonna have a distance kickboxing match with a high-level traditional martial artist slash competitive kickboxer. It basically played her game and got beat up and then submitted. It, and I, I just don't know which Paige Van Zandt's coming out there. If I knew she's gonna do what she needs to do, I would say she could win just because of her physicality and her pace. But if she's gonna do any of that, I'm gonna try and be super technical and, and, and pick her off on the outside and all that stuff. I don't see how she wins. Jessica Clark is, she's got, like I said, she's got better footwork. She's got a better feel for the striking and she's much more fluid in her defense, offense, and counters in the striking. I mean, you saw what she did to Beck Rawlings. She just outclassed her. And Rawlings, if anything, is tough, strong, and can apply a lot of pressure. And she just took her apart. She took her best shots, and then she started rolling under him, countering him, and picking her apart. And, and Van Zandt, I don't care how long she's trained, she's not a natural striker. And I don't think you can pick up that level of craft in, in this time frame. The, the one caveat is, uh, if you saw on Twitter, uh, I think Clark said that somebody had broken into her home in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And so, like, like she was seemingly upset somebody broke in her home and, like, stole all her stuff and damaged her house and killed her cat or something. I, I don't know. Like, she was really posting this. So, I don't know what state of mind she's in. I mean, I know that shouldn't be a big thing, but, you know, somebody breaking into your house and damaging your stuff doesn't put you in the best mindset to compete. And even the strongest minded person could be distracted as a result of that kind of, it's a traumatizing experience to have someone steal your stuff or being where you live. But, um, so, but like, so let's, let's, before we move on, I got a quick question. Where's Paige Van Zandt training now? Is she still with Team Alpha Male? I have no idea. I really don't. Nobody said anything. I, I didn't, I thought she went back to her original camp, but I always see her hanging out with Team Alpha Male. So I, I really have no idea where she's at, which is another problem. I, I know, I know where Clark is. Clark's with Syndicate MMA with John Wood, who does great job, great work. He does excellent work. So I know she's getting good rounds, good quality. I have no idea where Paige is right now. I have no earthly idea. Could not tell you. We should definitely look into that. I, I, I wonder where she is right now. I'm gonna. I'm gonna pick up a phone. I'm gonna make a phone call and ask a friend of mine. 
um, if he has any idea. Um, so let's move forward from there and let's talk about a fight that I'm really interested in. We have Emil Meek and Karmu Ursman at 170. This fight really is really interesting to me because Meek and, and Ursman are both interesting guys in the welterweight division. Ursman sits at uh, number 10 and he's on a six-fight win streak. Ursman is finally getting back into the UFC after defeating um, Jordan Mean and Rusmar Parharis back-to-back. What are your thoughts about this fight here? Because Ursman is a very interesting fighter. Because I was looking at some of his uh, statistical figures today. And the way he fought his first three fights in the UFC is totally different from the way he's fought his last three. To break that down for me and talk about what, what do you see in this matchup here. And is Ursman really the contender that everyone's making him out to be? Because at 170, there's a lot of name calling going on right now. And a lot of, I want to fight you, I want to fight you, I want to fight this guy, I want a title shot. But no one's talking about Ursman. No one's calling this man out at, at all. So... Break this guy down and, and talk to me about what you see here. He's a good fight. The problem, the reason nobody's calling him out is because he hasn't. He doesn't have a signature win. He has no win over a, like a real name. Covington has Maya. Darren Till has Cowboy Cerrone. Um, he beat Raleigh Alves, who beat Kobe Covington. Yeah, but Alves like submitted that I mean, dude. That was a while ago, and Alves just isn't a big name. You know, sometimes the main the name carries more than the record. That's why people are still fighting Vitor Belfort. They wouldn't have Belford on their resume. Th- that Belford name doesn't carry as much weight as it did 10 years ago. They still want it. I mean, these guys are coming off big wins, and nobody's coming after Uzma for two reasons. One, he doesn't have a signature win. He, he, de- he, doesn't, he hasn't done anything to draw the public's attention where they really are, like, demanding a fight, for one. And two, athletically, he's just so dynamic. That dude is, for as big and strong as he is, he should not be as fast as he is. He should not be as fluid as he is. He should not hit as hard as he does for, for the build he has. I know people see that big build and that automatically generates power. Lots of guys that build can't generate power the way he does. He is such a dynamic athlete. He's like prime Tyron Woodley, like strike force Tyron Woodley, it, except better than that as far as an athlete. He's a legitimate world-class athlete. He's starting to get more into his striking. Uh, if I recall correctly, he works with Henry Hooves. I think a lot of his striking is still attribute-based, but he's getting a lot more comfortable in exchanges. He's getting more comfortable in asserting himself and taking over fights, and he's less likely to panic wrestle when he takes a shot. He's, he uses his wrestling intelligently. He doesn't just, I got hit, so I'm just going to shoot, which a lot of wrestlers do because they're used to hitting but not getting hit back. He seems to have a little bit of poise, and he seems to like the contact. More importantly, he seems like he can take the abuse in striking and make some adjustments. I, I still think his defense is a little suspect, and I still feel he leans on his athleticism a little bit too much for my liking. But there's not enough guys in the division who are going to be able to make him pay for that, especially when he has that ace in the hole of his wrestling. Because whenever he wants somebody down, they just go down, and they don't get back up. So there's, there's two reasons people aren't calling him. One, it's, not, it's risky. Two, it's not worth the risk, because beating, getting beat by Usman, that builds his brand. Beating him or get, get beating him isn't going to build anybody's brand except for the hardcores. And losing them, since he's not a name, is going to send you tumbling all the way to the back of the line. So that's why a lot of guys aren't calling him out. I think he has a future. I'd really like to see him shore up his defense, though. I feel like defensively he can be had on the feet, especially as aggressive as he likes to be. And um, I don't know how good his chin is as far as taking real shots from, from real big hitters, but with some of the mistakes he's made in trying to get his volume off or trying to do certain things, I feel like there's a high price he'd be paying against a, a more composed striker or, or a guy who's a little bit more durable and isn't so fearful of his athleticism or his power. Yeah, I'm definitely going to um, agree with you there. Uh, 
I'm looking forward to that fight, man. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that fight. I'm also looking forward to the Michael Johnson versus uh, Darren Elkins fight here. This is a dangerous fight for Johnson. A very, very, very dangerous fight. What do you see happening here? And um, is this like is this his kind of his last chance? Yeah, I think it is his last chance because I mean he's what is he one in one in four in his last five fights? Yeah, he's, yep. he's one in four. And um, to be the, to be honest, the story with him is always the same. He starts off pretty well, and if he doesn't get you early. Guys essentially just start taking over and either start backing him up and walking him down, or they just finish him. And that's been the story of his career. I really think this fight could look a lot like look like Khabib Nurmagomedov is like a we would consider him wealthy as far as his skills and his ability. Darren Elkins would kind of be like the lower middle class or poverty level version of him. If if Johnson doesn't get him out quick, like Johnson doesn't just blow his doors off or beat him in a submission. I expect Johnson to get tired. I expect the guy to keep pushing for takedowns, get his hands on him, grind him up against the cage, get him down, and then just basically do um, a, a great value brand version of the beatdown that that could be put on him. I feel like Derek Darren Elkins is the worst guy to get tired of tired of yes. tired while, while fighting. Outside of Khabib, he is probably the second worst guy, and he's not a guy who's going to quit. You have got to starch him. Like he's like, man, it's like you have to hit this guy with the like you have to bring a steel chair in into the octagon with you and hit this guy with it over and over again because he's just not going to get um, um tired. And I, I don't think I don't think Johnson has the like everybody like before he fought Gaethje. Oh, his footwork, his boxing. To me, his footwork and his boxing never been great. I don't think he has the skill to outbox Elkins and and use angles and circular movement for three rounds and win a decision. I don't think he can do that. And if he goes for the knockout quick and he doesn't get it, it we, we saw what happened to the last guy who tried to finish Elkins and didn't get the job done. We saw what happened to that dude. And um, and plus with the weight cut, I don't he's never fought this weight before. So is he gonna be willing to take those chances? Even if he hurts Elkins, is he willing to open up completely? Because he doesn't know how his body's gonna hold up under the, under the stress of it. If he wins, it'd be a great win for him. But it seems like this is kind of a fight. It's like one literally a last chance fight and they're banking on Elkins beating him. I don't know that Johnson has a fan base. I don't know that the UFC brass likes him that much. So it seems like they put him in with probably the worst matchup he could be in outside of Elkins striking being kind of suspect. But if Johnson doesn't finish him in the first round, first half of the round, I, I, I think he's going to get taken down. He's going to get roughed up and either submitted or just beaten with an inch of his life on, a, on the way to a decision loss. That, that's really the only way I see it. He's either going to finish quick or he's going to get... He's just going to get beat up for three rounds. That's, that's pretty much how his fights have all gone, win or lose. Win, dominant win, athletic win, loss. He gets tired, he gets slows down, a guy gets his hands on him and just beats him up or submits him. It's kind of the pattern of his, his entire, the entirety of his career. And he's lost to a lot of guys like Darren Elkins, grapplers who are physically strong and tough. He's got a lot of losses to guys like that on his record. Yeah, you're definitely right there, man. You're you're definitely right. There's one other fight I want. Actually, no, that's it. What other fights are you looking forward to this weekend? What kind of stands out one, to you? One fight I'm actually very concerned about is Jessica I. Yes. Because, um, you know she's dropping down and she's I don't know she's on like a five fight losing streak at bantamweight. And the problem was she never she never should have been at bantamweight because with the the holes she has in her game, you have to be a top end athlete to manage those holes or you're. Or you have to be a technician. She's not good enough at either one of those things. So now she's trying to go back to this weight because that's going to be a, fr a fresh start for her. But she hasn't made this weight class in, what, five years? I mean, it might not be as easy as she thought it was to make the weight. 
And once again, even if she loses it in a new division, that's still like going to be six fights in a row. She's got to be getting close to being cut. And the biggest thing I have when people drop weight is usually when people drop weight because it gives them an advantage. You move up weight because you figure your speed, your athleticism will manage the size disparity. You drop down weight because you figure the increase in your punching power, your strength, and your durability will make up for your technical flaws. Very rarely do guys move weight and actually fix the holes in their game. Lauren Murphy dropped down a weight class. She's the same Lauren Murphy. Beck Rawlings dropped down a weight class. Fights the same way. Doesn't fight any better. Fights the same way at flyweight as she did at strawweight. Uh, uh, Lauren Murphy fights the same way at, at flyweight that she fought at bantamweight. There's no change. They didn't improve as fighters. And I don't know that Jessica I has been told what she's, I know she's been told what she's doing wrong. I talked to her coach, I've talked to her coaches before. I know she's been worked on, but I don't know that in her mind, she understands what she's doing wrong because she loses these close fights. And she seems so angry when in fact, the reason she loses the fight is because she starts winning them. And then for some reason, she stops doing whatever's successful and does the opposite until she loses a decision. And then she gets mad that she lost a close decision. And I don't know that she's fixed her cage IQ. I don't know if she's fixed the fact that her chin goes up when she gets into exchanges. I don't know that she's fixed the fact that her jab gets predictable and basic the longer a fight goes. I don't know that she's fixed that. And dropping a weight class that she hasn't made in five years is not going to make those problems go away. So unless she's addressed those problems, it's going to be another loss in another weight class. And I can't see her staying in the UFC after that. So I'm very, I'm very interested to see how this fight goes because this is kind of a make or break moment for her. Even if she wins this fight, that's only one win in the past five or six fights. The next fight she loses could be her walking paper. So she needs to actually go on a winning streak and a fairly impressive one very soon. What do you think happens to her? Where does she go if she does lose? I guess she could try Bellator, to be honest. I mean, I, if I was her, I told, I told her coach, one of her coaches, I told her, I was like, she needs a drop. She does not need to be abandoned away. I've said this routinely. I, I just, she just, I mean, she got dropped by Misha Tate. Misha, I love Misha Tate. You know I'm a Misha Tate fan. Misha Tate shouldn't put, be putting anybody on their butt from strikes. Nobody. That right there tells you you're in the wrong division. So after that, I mean, there's options for her, but coming off of, off the street she's coming off of and not, not being a big name, I don't know that she gets the money she wants. I don't, I don't know what I don't know that there's going to be easier matchups for her outside of the UFC. Cause there's lots of there's lots of flyweights and they're very good so i mean anywhere she goes it's going to be a tough road for her to for, road for her to succeed in but um i guess bellator may be risen maybe back to invicta a couple girls pro gonzalez is in invicta sarah kaufman's in invicta maybe she goes back to invicta and gives it another try but um it, this is a tough fight for her she she really can't afford to lose i don't care if it's a bad decision or she gets robbed she can't afford to lose this she can't afford to be competitive she can't afford anything she she needs to get a win in this one and it needs to be a a pretty legitimate win in my eyes. I don't know, maybe the UFC is just really cool with her, but she's been given a lot of rope and uh, I can't see her going much further. I mean, they cut, they finally cut Angela Mag Magana and her and Magana's record in the UFC is pretty similar actually. Yeah, and it's gonna be an interesting fight card on, on Sunday. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. I'll be covering it for Fight Metric as well. Um, what are some of the other things that, that, that you wanted to talk about? Is there anything else that you wanna let everybody know you're working on for this week? Um, I don't have anything I've been really working on. I've been thinking about doing an article on this, this uh, new boxing venture Zufa's going on because in every interview, Dana White keeps talking about how much money he's going to pay people, flying them out on jets and all stuff, and I can't imagine what his fighters who are actually managed by him or promoted by him now are thinking who've never been on a jet in their lives and don't make very good money feel about him telling boxers he'll out 
spend other promoters to get them into his promotion. That that just seems that seems like a he's opening a door that he does not really want to open with his own fighters. Yeah, definitely there. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. So I am working on a couple of different things as usual. Um, so there's a lot of grappling kind of kicking off this month. This is going to be a big year in, in grappling as well. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Craig Jones versus Jake Shields just announced earlier this week. I'm looking forward to that. Um, Working on some pro wrestling pieces as well. Um, Panthers are out of the playoffs. Not surprised. So I got some stuff to cover for them for this week. Um, I read their whole offensive staff, too. No, they, they fired everybody. Um, but, but, I mean, when it's Norv Turner, you've seen what he's done. So how do you – I mean, if I'm getting fired from Norv Turner, what am I really going to say? I mean, I've seen the good and the bad of, of yeah. Norv, Norv Turner. So we'll see. The, fir- the first couple years, he's usually he's really good. Then he gets a little antsy wanting a head coaching job, and that's when he yep. usually starts mailing it in. Yeah, then you got Nick Saban trying to come back into the NFL. So uh, is he real? I heard he wasn't trying to. Is he? Really? Yeah, man, he's supposed to be eyeing that job in uh, New York. So we'll see what happens with that foolishness. But you know, it's, it's I, Nick I was pretty sure the guy from the defensive coordinator. I heard he was the guy who had the lead on that. And the so thing is, they're, they're yeah, well, there is him, and they're also looking at the guy from Carolina as well. So it'll be interesting. That there's a guy from Carolina, Steve Wilkes, that they're kind of looking at too. So it'll be interesting to see what happens um, there. And um, before we close out, you know, the last thing I wanted to say was uh, last week, um, you know, the, the jiu-jitsu community lost someone very important in um, Dave Jacobs. Uh, and he's he was a black belt that had a, a gym here in, I think his gym was in Virginia, the, the, the Virginia, D.C. area. But um, I actually had the opportunity to share the mats with him when he just first started opening up his academy, maybe about two years ago here. Um, he's given some good friends of mine there black belts and a lot of them are really kind of um, heartbroken right now uh, they have a open mat tomorrow Saturday to um, kind of you know celebrate his life and then the uh, go home service is on Sunday but I just wanted to take a moment to say rest in peace to him and, and his family he, he was a great instructor I like I said I've took a couple classes from him he was a, he was a good dude he was nice to everybody in the gym being someone who I've, you know, I've been involved in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu close to more than um, almost almost 10 years now and I've met some some people who aren't worth shit and I've met some great people who uh, are like family to me and Dave Jacobs is definitely one of those great guys I didn't know him myself personally just like the interaction well, excuse me I didn't have a whole lot of interactions with him but just the experiences I did have with him taking a couple classes with him um, meeting him when he first came to the area I have no complaints about this guy never you never hear a bad thing said about him so definitely sorry to, to see him go he was still very young still very active in the community so rest in peace to Dave Jacobs I, I, I didn't know him but I want to come and I'm just saying this as a person I want to commend you for calling out because, you know, anytime the community, especially in this combat sports, loses somebody, a lot of the bigger names get mentioned. But there's a lot of guys who do regular work every day and help inspire people who are going to be the next big coach or next big trainer or work with this champion. And they never get their due. They never get their due because they never were a team this or team that or UFC this or UFC that or whatever. And I just think it's important that the people who are contributing and making a difference and spreading the sport, whatever it is, get, get their get, get their acknowledgement, get their tip of the cap, get their respect for what they've done. And I think that's great that you mentioned that. 
Yeah, definitely there. So um, with that in mind, you know, we're going to go ahead and close out. So I hope everyone has a great week. Watch the fights on Sunday. Enjoy um, MLK Day off on Monday. Don't be too foolish. You know, think about the real reason why we had that holiday. So as always, everyone, have a great day. And we thank you for spending some time to check us out on the MMA Radius Podcast. Yeah, guys, thanks for listening. Thank you for all the support. Raphael, it's a pleasure as always. Thank you for uh, letting making this interview happen. I bring people into you all the time, and all you do is get them on and, and help me not run over the time on the show, and I appreciate it. No problem, man. Thank you, and have a great night, everybody. You too.